From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good evening, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us today on the program. A number of stories you want to know about. President Biden has a concerning nominee to lead the Food and Drug Administration. We'll talk about the concerns later in the program. In addition, children who are experiencing gender dysphoria are increasingly being given puberty blockers, but the Attorney General of Texas believes this might be happening illegally. We'll talk to him about why that is. At the end of the program, parents in Wake County, North Carolina, have filed criminal complaints against their school board over content they found in school libraries. They don't believe it's just bad. These parents think it's illegal. We'll talk about what they found. But first, lots of activity in Washington, D.C. as well, despite Christmas looming. Back in July 2020, as protesters were pushing to defund the police after the death of George Floyd and other black Americans, San Francisco Mayor London Breed responded with a $120 million cut to their police budget. Now, this past Tuesday, Mayor Breed did a 180 as retail threat theft and smash and grab robberies have continued to plague the city. She announced that she was making an emergency request to the city's board of supervisors for more money for the police to support the crackdown on crime. When asked by a reporter yesterday, Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, had this to say about the crime in the city she represents. Well, it is. It's it's absolutely outrageous. Obviously, it cannot continue. Uh, But the fact is that there is an attitude of uh, uh, lawlessness in our country that springs from I don't know where. Maybe you do. And we cannot have that lawlessness uh, become the norm. Now, keep in mind that last summer, Speaker Pelosi and other Democrats refused to denounce the defund police movement. The times seem to have changed. Some even supported that movement. Are Democrats coming to a point where they just can't ignore the bad results that have emerged from policing policies they're pushing to support? Here with me now to talk about this and more is U.S. Representative Andy Biggs, who serves as chairman of the House Freedom Caucus and represents the 5th Congressional District of Arizona. Congressman Biggs, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. Well, first of all, what are your thoughts uh, that the, on, the, on the rise in crime that we're seeing across the nation? Well, it, the one thing that Nancy Pelosi got right is it, it definitely is outrageous and it's dangerous. Uh, the one thing that, that you count on your government to do more than anything else is to protect you from criminals and bad guys and bullies. Doesn't mean nothing will ever ha- bad will happen, but when you have great police forces enforcing the law, it it, it mitigates against bad things happening. And so, uh, it's not a surprise that we see this going, uh, we or we see high crime rates wherever the Democrats have controlled and said, "Look, we want to defund police and we want to get rid of prisons and and any kind of punishment whatsoever." That's where they are, and this is this is what happens in those those locations, in those cities, in those neighborhoods, in those communities. You saw Speaker Pelosi's comments there. She said, "There's an attitude of lawlessness in our country that springs from, well, I don't know where." Uh, 
Do you have a thought about that? Where is this coming from? It's, it, it is troubling. Where, what's the source of this? Well, I think she was trying to apply something um, that, that somehow Trump supporters uh, invoke lawlessness. But the reality is it is from the left that has encouraged Antifa and BLM. And when you allow rioting to go on, and it wasn't just allowing rioting. I mean, they removed police from a precinct in Minneapolis so that rioters could actually destroy and vandalize that. You've had um, uh, directives from city councils to say, let uh, people with small crimes, let them out. We're not going to enforce the law. You've had uh, Secretary Mayorkas tell uh, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, don't enforce the law. You have a million people wandering around here with with uh, removal orders from the country, and and you have your Homeland Secretary saying, we're not going to go after you, we're not going to remove you. This type of, of lawlessness that we're seeing on the rise comes from a disrespect for the law. It comes from a, 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 this notion that these people have of, of we aren't governed by the rule of law, we're not controlled by the rule of law. Um, and it's going to, I'm afraid, Joseph, it's going to perpetuate because they're talking a game now but they're not really doing anything to change the situation that they've created. I think you have touched on something significant there, this, this, this sense of lawlessness and a real disrespect for, for the law that I think has been a long time in coming. The question, of course, is how do you address that? How do you solve it? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. First of all, uh, you, you need your police to be able to, first of all, you have to uh, give them the equipment and the and the uh, force that the force size that they need, you can't keep uh, taking away money and resources from them. So that's number one. Number two, you allow them to make arrest in accordance with the law, and you allow process to work, due process to work. That means that the the prosecutors can't be letting out people who are charged with crimes to come out the next day. So they get arrested on Tuesday night. They're going to let them out Wednesday morning. You have to, and uh, prosecutors have to keep people uh, in custody and prosecute the crimes and uh, try the cases. And, uh, uh, and, and let's, if you do that, you will restore respect for law. It's a, it's a deterrent effect. Right now, there's no general deterrence in our society and no specific deterrence in our society. And uh, without those two things, you cannot have the rule of law. The other thing, of course, Joseph, is our educational institutions have to be um, taken back over by people who respect the, the history of this country and re they respect the, the law and the rights that uh, we recognize that God has given to each of us. Yeah. I think you're right that law enforcement needs to be supported and given the authority to do this. I may be equally as concerned, though, by the number of people who are apparently willing to commit crime with impunity, that there's not any social pressure, there's not this sense of self-respect, that that's not something I do. And the number of people who seem willing to just steal because they don't think they're going to get in trouble, that is just as troubling to me as the lack of law enforcement there to stop them from doing it. But Jen Psaki was asked about this, this lawlessness conversation in Washington, D.C., and she uh, suggested that a lot of this had to do with COVID and the pandemic. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, that's that's just ludicrous. That's providing an excuse. The reality is we've lost our moral compass. We've created a vacuum of secularity in this in this country. And by doing that, people uh, people feel that they're going to be held accountable in this life because we don't enforce the rule of law, nor in the next life because they're being taught that that there is no next life. And, and as long as you have 
those two disconnects there, it's going to be real hard to bring this back. But the, it, is, it has nothing to do with COVID. What this has to do is, is people afraid of enforcing the law. I mean, so right now, Joseph, if you go to San Francisco, pictures we've seen out of San Francisco today, you've got people who don't want their cars vandalized. So they're opening the doors and, and the trunks so people can come in and see whether there's anything worth stealing. So when you when you tell people you can go to the, to the drugstore, CVS or whatever, and say, as long as you don't steal more than a thousand bucks, we're not going to stop you. That's an, a morality problem. That is a, a, a secularity problem. And that's that's where I think we're, we're the, the vacuum that's been created here has produced this this horrible um, situation that we're, we're seeing. I think that's exactly right. And uh, the mayor of San Francisco in her comments about refunding the police after defunding them last week, she said anecdotally that 90 to 95% of the people in San Francisco in that room had experienced, had been personally victims of some kind of property crime, which is a, an absurd thing to say. And of course, I have no support for that, but that was just the way of she described the nature of this problem. So it is bad, but I think there might be some encouragement from the fact that they're that on the left, their tone is changing, and maybe we're going to be able to come together to address this. But this is not the only issue on which the tone is changing. There's been another change, of course, for the Democrats in Washington, D.C., and I'm referring to Build Back Better or Build Government Bigger, depending on how you prefer Biden's legislative priority. Chuck Schumer has announced that they are uh, moving away from that, and now they're going to focus on the Voting Rights Act in the Senate instead. What do you make of that? Well, they, they weren't going to get their votes. Um, so uh, the bill, the bigger bankruptcy bill is is basically on hiatus, maybe permanently dead. But a huge, dangerous bill is H.R. 1 and H.R. 4. Those two bills, they're dealing with this voting, the uh, federalization of voting. And H.R. 1 is the more most egregious, although H.R. 4 has got massive problems, too. But H.R. 1 basically is going to codify all of the election irregularities that you've seen. They're going to um, codify those and regularize those so that you will see more of that. And we need just the opposite. We need to have, just like on the on the smash and grabs and the, the, the violence, the crimes that are, that are increasing, we need to make sure that we stop this assault on election integrity. Let's bring transparency back in. Let's bring accountability back in. And H.R. 1... Uh, which is the is the bill that the Schumer's talking about um, is particularly dangerous because it, it it basically ignores the constitutional obligation of states to set and uh, conduct these elections. And the last thing you you and I want sh- or should want is for the feds to have even more power over elections. I think a lot of people agree with you on that. Now, yesterday, Chuck Schumer, uh, Senator Schumer, he had these comments to say on the Senate floor about this change in priority. I want to play those and then give you a chance to respond. There is universal view in our caucus that we need to pass legislation to protect our democracy. What the Republican legislatures are doing on a purely partisan basis is undermining, destroying our democracy. What's he referring to there that the Republicans are doing that is undermining and destroying our democracy? Well, one thing that they they think is just so onerous is to require identification when you go to vote. And and the bill that he wants would take away any opportunity to have that as a as a directive. And the the problem for him is that 80 percent of the country, whether you're Democrat, independent or Republican, regardless of your of of your racial uh, heritage, 
you support uh, identification in, in elections. We all know it, it's really simple. So that's what he's talking about. He'd also, he also they want permanent um, universal mail-in ballots, and that is another uh, place way to have fraud in in an election. And so he is talking about this notion that we want to have a fair, transparent set of a series of elections, and they want something very different. They want to control the election from the federal government, and they want to control it in a way that, uh, you know, dead people in Chicago can still keep voting, I guess. But that's that's really what we're talking about, Joseph, is is the distinction between uh, this uh, the uh, Senator Schumer's desire to push forward on the um, on H.R. one. He He's saying that, by, by the way, they project this. So they say that we're trying to stop uh, free and fair elections. That's what they're trying to do with H.R. one. We really want to make them fair and transparent. And so we, we, we're not proposing massive changes. We're proposing common sense changes that have worked. In about 15 seconds, are they going to have better luck with the Voting Rights Act than they did with Build Back Better? Not unless they can get around the filibuster. And uh, it remains to be seen, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema uh, do not seem keen to do that. Sen- uh, Representative Biggs, thank you so much for your time being with us again today. Thanks, Joseph. Good to be with you. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. And it is interesting uh, to see if they have, we will see uh, soon, whether they have given up completely on Biden's legislative priority, Build Back Better, or if they are going to try to revisit this again. But clearly, they're having trouble in the Senate. But something we should be troubled by is Biden's nomination to head the Food and Drug Administration. We'll talk about that when we come back right after the break. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, 
Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. It's my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today and to be with you. With each new administration, the incoming president gets his pick of the people who will run government agencies and programs that make our country run. The ones at the highest level have to be confirmed by the Senate, and many of President Biden's nominations have been concerning. Like his pick for the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Robert Califf, who brings with him a troubling past from his time as President Obama's FDA commissioner. Here to tell us about this nominee, as well as some breaking news, is Connor Semmelsberger, FRC's Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity. Connor, good to see you. It's great to be on, Joseph. Well, start off, uh, Let tell us what the concern you have with Dr. Califf is. Yeah, so Dr. Califf uh, was the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration all the way back in 2016 during Obama's last year. And why does the Food and Drug Administration have anything to say about pro-life issues? Well, all the way back in 2000, uh, the Clinton administration approved what we call chemical abortion pills, a two-pill regimen uh, that allows a woman in her own home to uh, have uh, an abortion right there, um, all the way through about uh, 10 weeks of pregnancy. And uh, these, these drugs have been regulated pretty heavily for a long time, until 2016, when Robert Califf, uh, none other than, was the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration and severely weakened uh, how uh, complications related to this uh, were tracked, as well as um, you know, any of the dangers with these drugs, were, they were weakened, these, these protocols. And then here we are with some breaking news that just under the Biden administration just today, they've weakened these health and safety protocols for these chemical abortion drugs even further. And tell us more about that. My understanding, again, this news is coming down just within the last half hour or so. Uh, the FDA has now allowed, said that chemical abortion pills can be sent through the mail so you don't have to actually see a healthcare provider. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's exactly what happened here. And um, before, uh, to get these pills, uh, there was a requirement, right? FDA had some good folks that were scientists. They wanted to actually make their drugs safe and effective. Uh, and so to get these drugs, you had to be in the presence of a physician. They had to make sure they could check for things like ectopic pregnancy and, and the rest to make sure you actually were pregnant and to actually uh, make sure that, uh, you know, 
what was going on with your pregnancy was, was good, that they could prescribe this. Well, what they decided today was, you know what, we're not even going to check to make sure you're pregnant, that you don't have blood complications, et cetera. We're just going to be able to mail these pills to you, uh, no matter where you're at, uh, from a pharmacy without any physician oversight right to your home for the abortion to be all on you and to you go through any complications that might arise. So it's a, it's a pretty damning day. And, and it goes to show that the, the science, right, following the science, like we've heard out of the Biden administration for, for months now, um, has not been the case. And let's talk a bit more about that. This is breaking news. Is this news accompanied by research that the FDA has done that's concluded uh, these are very safe, there's no reason to actually consult with a healthcare provider, or does this look more like we want to make these available, so we're going to make them available, but we're not going to necessarily look for a scientific justification for that? Yeah, if you thought the COVID regulations for FDA were political, this issue is even more political. It is not based in science in any way, shape, or form. And here's why. It's not just conjecture. Uh, for years and years, the FDA was supposed to be tracking how dangerous or how safe are these drugs. Well, instead of actually doing that, they relied on the abortion industry to report any uh, adverse events. It's been on states, local health agencies, and others to actually track what's going on with these pills and how dangerous are they. And so in the last even year, uh, good researchers, uh, pro-life uh, doctors, OBGYNs have gotten together, compiled this data, and found that there are way more deaths and way more adverse events related to these drugs than the, F the FDA ever even cared to know about. Uh, even more so, they checked to make sure, okay, what about the emergency room rates for women taking these chemical abortion drugs? 500% higher than those that get surgical abortions. These are independent uh, researchers and doctors doing this research, not the FDA. And so as more data has been revealed that these things are less safe, less effective than the FDA claims. Instead of making uh, these regulations stronger to make sure these women that are taking these drugs are safe, they even weaken these. So again, I couldn't find a more political uh, ploy by the FDA. They have not been following the facts and data like Robert Califf claimed he, uh, he thought the FDA would be doing this week. Has the FDA even acknowledged the data that you just cited, those studies finding that chemical abortions have a 500% greater likelihood of sending someone to the emergency room than a surgical abortion. Is that something the FDA is uh, responding to or are they just ignoring it? Frankly, they've just been ignoring it. And, and what it comes back to is it's just the, those facts and, and, and data points don't help advance their cause. And why is this cause something that someone like the FDA commissioner and the Biden administration care so much about? What it has to do is what's been going on around our country to advance the cause for unborn life. We heard the big Supreme Court case out of Mississippi the other week, Texas banning abortions from six weeks on with their, the effectiveness of their heartbeat bill, and the abortion industry is running scared. So instead of actually pushing these things in the courts and states where they've been losing time after time, as we've seen this year, they're having to ram through these political uh, agenda items through places like the FDA to disregard any scientific facts, even if they're founded in truth and actually are causing harm to women and definitely their unborn children. They have to ignore these things if they need to advance the cause of abortion, and their, their end goal is to have these chemical abortion pills not just mailed to you in your home, but ready to pick up at your local pharmacy. Connor, who is it that benefits by making chemical abortion pills available through the mail? 
Yeah, it's really this ideology. Uh, uh, it's framed as women's reproductive freedom, but it's much more about controlling women and sexual health than e ever would be admitted. But it's just the abortion industry, too. There's so much money to be gained in this. As you can tell, Planned Parenthood's abortion services has continued to climb year after year. And how are they doing their abortions now? It's not through your clinics down the street uh, with the dirty surgical tools. It's through chemical abortion. It's so much cheaper to send a pill through the mail with no oversight, no complications that you have to worry about. It's all on the woman. It's, it's back to these modern-day back-alley abortions. And so that's who stands to benefit, an ideology that thinks uh, anything that gets in the way of women being back in the workforce, even if it means killing their unborn child, uh, that's who benefits, as well as the pocketbooks of Planned Parenthood. And, Connor, one of the problems with this, especially in states like California and Washington, where there are no parental consent uh, requirements, these... These pills are mailed hundreds, sometimes thousands of miles. You're hundreds of miles away from the nearest healthcare provider. You take it, have a complication, and you're not close to anybody who knows it's happening or could help. And that does create a, uh, a convergence of issues that can create real problems. Some cases are lethal. Connor Semmelsberger, but we appreciate your time today. Great to be on, Joseph. Thank you. Now, there's the next story is also a way in which perhaps healthcare standards are being lowered for a political agenda. Are the puberty blockers being given to children against in violation of the law? The Attorney General of Texas thinks. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in for Tony today. The Hippocratic Oath requires doctors to promise that they will first do no harm. However, there is concern that across the country, doctors are giving drugs to children with gender dysphoria 
even though the drugs have not been approved for that purpose. Are medical standards being lowered because the issue is so politically charged? Are children at risk because they are being given drugs for a purpose those drugs were never approved for? Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is trying to find out, and he joins me now to discuss it. Attorney General Paxton, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, just thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for coming. This is an important story. First, just tell us the details of your investigation. So it literally just started a few days ago. We have the authority under the Deceptive Trade Practices Act to send out what are called civil investigative demands or like interrogatories or questions that we can ask companies that we think may be violating state law. And so that's what we've done. And uh, we don't have any answers yet. We literally just started a few days ago. But those questions get sent out. And then we wait for answers back. We may send more questions and then eventually either discover that there's a, a violation of the Deceptive Trade Practices Act or there's no there's no violation. Tell us what prompted you to ask these questions. I think we had begun getting uh, just information from some of our consumers about these companies that we have that we've asked the questions of. There's two companies in particular. And uh, so we decided you know, when we get questions, then uh, and they come from more than one source. That's usually when we start asking questions of the companies. If it was true that these drugs were being given um, for uh, for a use they are not approved for, what's the implication of that? So for us, I don't have any criminal authority. We can always refer that to a, a local district attorney, but we do have authority to to find them uh, ten thousand dollars per violation. And so, you know, that can add up to significant costs. And part of that is to to stop them from doing it because there's going to be uh, civil penalties for that. And they can amount to, you know, millions and millions of dollars. So it, the, the civil part of this is is not just designed to, to, to help bring in money to the state that may go to these types of um, problems, but it's also designed to actually stop the practice. Is your investigation going to look at all into the potential impact on uh, minors, and we are talking about minors in these cases, I understand, uh, the the impact that it would have on them of getting puberty blockers for purposes that they are not uh, intended for. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the goal here is to find out if, if, if these drugs are being used, if puberty blockers are being used on, on children, um, because that, if, if they are, they're being used on children and, and for, for a purpose that it's not intended for, that's that's not only a violation of deceptive trade practices, that's, that's child abuse and could potentially lead to other, other concerns for those companies. I know the nature of the underlying issue here makes this a very politically charged one and not just a medical one. But are you aware of other situations in which drugs have been frequently prescribed by doctors for purposes they weren't specifically approved for? So we haven't we haven't been given information on any specific doctors in Texas. Um, if we were, that would be another cause for concern, and we we, we would go down the path of investigating those doctors as well. So um, that the overall idea of prescribing drugs that are not approved for uh, these purposes it, it would be a problem in my state. 
Well, we, we hope so. We all think it would be a problem. But given the nature of this issue, in, in so many ways, uh, people seem to behave differently when we're dealing with these political issues than we would in a, in a similar situation that wasn't as politically charged. Now, would you say your goal in, in, with this investigation is to see that puberty blockers are not used uh, on minors, or is it to merely make sure that if they are being used, they are being used for the purpose they are approved for? Well, look, so there are purposes um, that, that they are approved for. It's just uh, the, the, in this case, we're looking at the unapproved purposes. Um, I know that, that they, they can treat children for um, this precocious puberty um, but beyond that, to, to, to affect these uh, minor children forever as to the potential uh, – their sex choice is not what they're supposed to be used for. And that, in our opinion, before they are 21, is, is child abuse. Are there any other states that you know of that are conducting a similar investigation? I am not aware of any other states. Um, no one's called me and, and let me know that other state attorney generals are looking at this. I don't know if anybody's ever looked at this. This may be, may be a first in our country. Um, so I'm not aware of any other state that's doing what we're doing right now. Well, in many ways, we do depend on Texas. We look to you to lead and do things for the first time, and we are thankful that you're doing that. Attorney General Paxton, very quickly, how long do you expect this investigation to take, and when will we have some kind of uh, results? There's usually a period of time, 30, 60, 90 days, depending on the companies and how many questions we're asking. Uh, for them to answer questions, and then uh, that may lead to other questions. Any investigation is fact-dependent and depends on what we find out at the beginning of our investigation as to how long it's going to take. But we're going to try to move it along. Believe me, we want to know the answer, and we want to make sure these kids are protected. Attorney General Ken Paxton from the great state of Texas, thank you for your leadership on this and for your time today. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Now, we're going to continue... An investigation of sorts. The attorney general in Texas is doing an investigation, but so are some parents in Wake County, North Carolina, and their investigation caused them to file a criminal complaint with their school board because of materials they found in the school libraries. What is it that they found? What can be done about it? We'll talk about it when we come back right after the break. Stay Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. 
Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I do love the music this time of year. Friends, if you enjoy Washington Watch and everything that Family Research Council does, you should know that it is all made possible because of friends like you who support the critical work that we do. And if you would like to continue to help make that happen, right now we have a $1.5 million challenge match for all gifts that will be doubled between now and December 31st. If you'd like to take advantage of that and help this work continue well into the new year and beyond, you can do that by calling 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Again, that number is 800-225-4008 or visit TonyPerkins.com. Now, our next story. Of course, Wake County parents aren't the only ones standing up for their children. That's Wake Wake County, North Carolina. Um, We're going to back up. Excuse me. A group of concerned citizens in North Carolina's Wake County have filed criminal complaints against their local school board because of materials they identified as obscene in the schools. These books were available to children as young as five years old. The group has identified more than 100 book titles that they say contains obscene content, including a much-talked-about book called Gender Queer. And that book was recently removed from the adult collection at the Wake County Public Library. And the question is, if that book was too explicit for a public library, why is it in a school library? Here to talk about the effort in Wake County is Tammy Fitzgerald. She's the executive director of North Carolina Values and my good friend, Tammy. Welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. 
Well, it's great to see you. Before we get into the issue, tell us about this group that has formed in Wake County uh, to investigate the issue. Well, this is a completely parent-led effort. Uh, Moms for Liberty, which is a national effort by parents on the ground and a Liberty First group have joined together to file these charges in the uh, sheriff's office against the public schools for these obscene materials that are found in the libraries. And Tammy, what prompted the investigation? What motivated them to get together and start looking at library books? Well, our Lieutenant Governor, Mark Robinson, is a very strong advocate for parental rights. And he has spoken out, he, he has spoken out strongly against this type of pornographic material found in school libraries and classrooms. And Lieutenant Governor Robinson had a press conference in October. And a few of these moms watched his press conference and they saw the materials that he had illustrated on a poster board behind him, materials that came directly from the book, Gender Queer. And um, these moms began to get worried. And so they did some investigating in their own public libraries and schools, and they've come up with a chart, uh, which was attached to one of the press reports, uh, not from our local media. Uh, you had to go to Gateway Pundit to get it, but the chart shows 100 book titles that are found in public schools in Wake County, North Carolina. Now, Wake County is the largest school district in North Carolina, and so the parents here really have cause for concern because these books are available to their young children as young as kindergarten. Now, 100 is a lot of books. Gender Queer, this book, has received a lot of the attention. Are, are the others similarly concerning? Are they less concerning? How would you classify the other 99? Well, um, of course, one of the books is a book called George. This book has received a lot of attention all over the country. This is about a 10-year-old boy who wants to remove body parts so he can change his gender. Um, uh, Lawn Boy is another one of the books, and uh, this book is equally as concerning. And so the fact that the public libraries here have, have taken genderqueer off the shelves is, is certainly great, but they've left 99 other concerning books on the shelf uh, because these books are equally as offensive as genderqueer. And this is not just soft porn. This is hardcore pornography. These are... These are cartoon images and um, descriptions of, of mutilating genitalia that no parent would want their young child to read about or view in a library. And Tammy, to illustrate that point, there has been some local press on this issue, the News and Observer and local radio stations who have investigated the concerns of these parents an issue that was originally, as you said, highlighted by Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. And in their report in the newspaper, they were not able to publish their findings from the school, uh, from, from the school books. They couldn't publish it in the local newspaper. And that may be all you need to know, that if it violates the standards of journalism to put these things in the public newspaper, again, it begs the question, why is it in a school library where elementary school children have access to it and could be seeing it. Now, Tammy, has there been any response from the Wake County School Board? I haven't seen a response yet. And 
this is very concerning because we do have two Republican members on the Wake County School Board, and you would think that as conservatives, they would be concerned about these books, but I haven't seen either one of them speak out against these books yet. Um, it's concerning that, you know, the library felt led to take the, the books off the shelf in the adult section of the library, but they remain on the shelves and in the classrooms of our public schools in Wake County. I, I did want to point out, Joseph, um, the images in this book, Gender Queer, were put on a poster board behind the lieutenant governor when he did his press conference, and the local news stations had to blur out the background when they played his press conference for the evening news. So if it was too bad to watch on the on the late night television, it certainly is not something we want our young children to be learning or looking at in school. In the press conference that you're referring to there that Mark Robinson held, he took a lot of heat after that because he referred to it as filth and, yeah. and people on the left um misconstrued it and i think intentionally misrepresented what he said and and claimed that it was an lgbt slur in light of these investigations and the other findings do you feel that in any way this is vindication of mark robinson's initial claim that this is in fact filth well certainly it's vindication not completely though because 99 other books are still on the shelf but uh yes the gov the lieutenant governor called these books filth and uh, the, the people on the other side of this issue, the LGBT groups, took offense to that and, and misrepresented that he was calling them filth, that it was a personal slur. And it certainly was not. He called the materials, the books, filth. And he's absolutely right. It is filth. If you've seen any, any portrayals from these books, you would agree that it's filth. And the lieutenant governor has been very strong about this uh, characterization of the materials, and he has not backed down on his characterization of them as filth. Well, and we are grateful for his leadership in that and his refusal to back down, because as time has uh, has gone on, I think we have seen that he is correct. Now, this group of parents, what's next for them? I know they filed a criminal complaint with the sheriff. That seems like an unusual step. What do you see coming down the line on this issue? Well, I think it was a brilliant step. Um, we do have a statute in North Carolina, a law that says you cannot show uh, images or portray obscenity to minors. And so it was brilliant of them to go to the sheriff to enforce the statute because that's exactly what should be done. But we do need some changes to the statute because unfortunately the statute exempts schools. And uh, we tried to do a change like this in North Carolina a few years ago. It, it didn't go anywhere, but we certainly shouldn't exempt schools from a statute that prohibits uh, showing obscenity to minors. Tammy Fitzgerald, North Carolina Values Coalition, thanks so much for your time and uh, for your leadership in the state of North Carolina and helping parents uh, do the right thing for their kids. Appreciate you very much. Thank you, Joseph. It was great to be on the show with you. Great to see you. Merry Christmas. Now, of course, uh, this is happening all over the country. Wake County parents aren't the only ones standing up for their children. Hopefully it's happening where you are as well. 
and joining me to talk about other parents groups that are doing the same thing around the country and how you can become one of those parents groups is Meg Kilgannon. She's a senior fellow for education studies here at Family Research Council. Meg, welcome to the program. Thank you, Joseph. It's great to be with you. It's good to see you again. Uh, you just heard what's happening in North Carolina. Uh, tell us about some of the resources out there for parents who may be um, watching that story. They've heard similar stories all over the country. They're concerned about what's going on in their child's school. Uh, where can they go to do something? Well, the the great the great thing about what Tammy just explained, you and you and she just discussed, is the fact that in North Carolina they have the lieutenant governor also on their side, who is standing up for parents, who is adding a great deal of credibility to this issue and elevating it to the degree that it's getting attention. And so when that happens, other people around the country also notice. So. My, my gratitude to the parents in Wake County who made this report to the, to the sheriff, and I wish them all the best in their, in their efforts. And I'm also grateful to the library, the public library that removed the book from the shelves. And we, of course, want to challenge the school libraries to follow suit. We had a similar situation in Fairfax County where the same book was, uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, where the same book was objected to. And the committee unanimously uh, re reviewed it and unanimously decided to keep it on the shelves in Fairfax County, just like Wake County is keeping it on the shelves of the libraries and the schools there. So there's plenty of work for parents to do. Um, they should band together. Um, Meg? Yes. I want to jump in on that real quickly uh, because we covered in the last story the fact that the public library removed it from their shelves. They determined that it was not appropriate for the public library. Why is it that school boards are determining they want it for their kids, but the public library is saying, nah, this isn't right? Well, it's because of that little tidbit at the end of the interview with Tammy, where she talked about the obscenity exemption for schools. Because the school can claim that there is an artistic, educational, or scientific value to the work, they can put it on the shelf. And so that's what happened in Fairfax. They used that exemption to keep that book in the schools in Fairfax County because they deemed it to have artistic or scientific or some sort of educational value. Um, when what it is is exactly what Lieutenant Governor Robinson characterized it as, it's filth. Um, it's not educational. So um, it, it's very encouraging that, that the library, which is for adults and children, the public library in North Carolina would remove it from the shelves and can recognize obscenity when they see it. And it's, it's very disturbing that people who are charged with this responsibility over children in our communities can't make that same distinction. Um, we need to have more parents involved in the process, and it's, that's why we're so excited that so many people are offering to run for school board and are working to serve their communities, and that parents, like the parents group in Wake County that, that joined together and, and made this, this effort, this is a very creative way of trying to get these, this material removed. Um, I mean, we can't describe on this radio show, Joseph, what is in the pictures that we're talking about that are so objectionable. Um, because it's it's not appropriate for any anyone to hear about, but it's in the school library. But apparently some school boards think it is artistic or some such thing. Now, if you happen to be a parent 
in Wake County or Fairfax County, where the wisdom of the school board is that this should remain available to our students, what recourse do parents have? Well, you can always contact us at uh, schools at frcaction.org. Um, we'd love to hear from you there about um, any sort of information you have, uh, and, and we can put you in touch with other parents in your community who are working on this. We also have draft model, uh, resolutions um, about obscenity exemptions that we can send your way. Um, the state laws vary across the 50 states and in individual communities, so you're going to have to, uh, you know, tweak them for your area. But there is a tremendous pushback against this nationally, and we are very happy to partner and help in any way that we can to empower parents. Um, they already have the power, but to help them yeah. uh, do this work in their community on behalf of all children. So if there's a parent watching who doesn't know what is in their school library, but wants to make sure that their children aren't being exposed to this stuff, what's step number one for them to take? Well, if you're in a community that has a, a uh, library card catalog that is online, you can, using your child's account, search the library and look for these titles. And you could use the document that Tammy talked about that's available from Wake County examples. Um, you could see if any of those hundred books are in your library, just for starters. And if they are, you could then petition your school board member, your school board, or just go to your school's librarian and ask them why they feel these books are appropriate. And I would say to be polite, to be uh, genuinely seeking information and genuinely seeking, uh, you know, a, 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 an exchange of ideas in that encounter. You know, don't be overly accusatory in the beginning, even though you might be very angry, <laughs> rightfully so, about what's going on. Um, be polite, be persistent, and uh, speak with the passion you feel about the need to protect childhood innocence and to remove these objectionable materials from the library. And know that you are not the only one doing that. Meg Kilgannon, thanks so much for your time. Thank Appreciate you. it. Merry Christmas. In addition to that, I would encourage you, don't go alone. Make sure it's much easier for a school administrator or a school board to ignore one parent than it is to ignore a group of parents. So if you're gonna take action, find friends to take action with and you will have a much greater chance of success. But remember, whether you're at the school board or your principal's office or anywhere else, make sure you fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.